Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by Pastor Brian D. Corkin be a blessing to your life in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. This morning I want to talk to you about David, a man after God's own heart. And this is part eight, and we do have a few parts to go. And then late, uh, and I guess somewhere in the, coming up, we'll be going to sight and sound to seeing the story of David. Last week, we talked about learning to lean. David is learning to lean. To lean on the Lord, it means that you're going to have to go through some situations and you're going to have to apply what you know to your situation. And you're going to have to apply the truth of God's word to the situation you face. When we apply God's word, what God says to our present situation, it is that moment is that we start to lean on God and not on our own abilities or our own, um, our own strength. And last week, we're looking at David learning to lean. However, he makes some mistakes and from those mistakes, there's some pretty good consequences that follow that brought great pain and affliction and loss. And many people died because of his deception. King Saul, though, is obsessed with killing David and sets an example by killing the priests and all of his family and all of the priests in Nob and their families and all their livestock. And so all of these people die because Saul is making a point to say, anybody who else David, this is what's going to happen. Now, I want you to understand, Saul, King Saul, the one that was appointed by God, had all of the kings, all the, the priests, and their family, and all their livestock killed. David, however, did not tell Ahimelech the truth, and therefore caused a great consequence However, it was the evil, jealous, angry, hatred spirit that's in Saul that did this great, terrible act. But because David was afraid for his life, we don't know why he did what he did, but we cannot deny that he deceived Ahimelech, that he downright lied and made up a story to protect his life but also maybe in his mind to protect Ahimelech so that he's innocent in the deal. Nobody knew that Saul would come with such harsh results. We have found that all through Scripture, David is seeing God's power work in his life, and we're seeing divine encounters. We're seeing divine decisions. We're seeing divine protection because David is a man with a promise. I want you to get this. David is a man with a promise, but we've seen how he hasn't looked at his promise because the pain of the presence is greater than the future promise that he has. And you have a promise. God has given you promises. Hebrews 13 tells us that, and also in the Old Testament as well, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. No matter what you go through, he's with you. Someone say amen. Amen. But the problem is you have to remind yourself that he's with you. If you do not remind yourself that he's with you, if you don't remind yourself of what the word of God says, then you're going to forget about it. You're going to just see your problem. Let me share with you um, a story. It's a true story. It comes on a Christmas Eve, 1875. And Ira Sankey was traveling on the Delaware River steamboat when he was recognized by some of the passengers His picture had been in a newspaper because he has been a song leader for the famous evangelist D.L. Moody. They asked him to sing one of his own hymns that he wrote, but he declined and said that he'd rather sing a song by William B. Bradbury hymn. The name of it was Savior Like a Shepherd, Lead Us. As he sang, one of the stanza began, said this, We are thine, do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. When he had finished, a man stepped from the shadows and asked, Did you serve in the Union Army? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered, in the spring of 1860. 
The man then said, can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlight night in 1862? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered, very surprised at his request if he was there or he did some type of service. He said, I was serving the Confederate Army at that time. And when, when I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, this fellow will never get away alive. I raised my musket and took aim. I was standing in the shadows completely concealed while you were in full light of the moon. At that instant, just a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and you began to sing the very song that that man sung that day. And when you raised your eyes to heaven, it brought me back to that moment saying, this is that man. So he said, but the song you sang, when you sang it, I heard those words perfectly. Matter of fact, when I had my gun aimed at you and I listened to that chorus, thine do thou befriend us, be the guardian of the way, those words stirred up memories in my heart. I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother. She had many times sung that very exact song to me when I was little. And when you had finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim at you again. I thought to myself, Lord, who is able to save this man from certain deaths must surely be a great and almighty God. It was that moment I gave my heart to that same God. And then he said this, and my arm of its own accord dropped limp by my side. And you see, God is always bringing encounters. God is always doing something. And in those somethings, you and I have to make decisions. Someone say decisions. David will make a decision, a choice today as we read this biblical truth. A decision that reveals more reasons why God said he was a man after his own heart. We looked at a lot of things that David has. Some of these qualities. We'll go today we're going to look at another quality. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. And let's read verses 1 and 2. It says, After Saul had returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is at the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Let me share a little bit with you of what takes place just before this. David is on the run and he's on one ridge. Saul and his army is chasing David. He's on another ridge and Saul was about to catch David. But God intervened and caused the Philistines to come to attack one of the areas. And Saul had to leave the area and go fight the Philistines. It is here that once he's done attacking the Philistines, he now comes back to get David. King Saul had this obsession to kill David. David is in Gedi, a place of safety. Because you have to understand, this is a really unique place in Israel, even to this day. And Gedi lays near the Dead Sea to the western shore. It's barren, it's desolate, it's territory surrounding the Dead Sea. There are canyons there, and it runs west, westward. And, and, and in the caverns, uh, canyons and stuff, there's caves, and it's very rocky. And it's full of goats, and, because goats love that type of terrain. And so, of course, there's a place for safety there. But, but there also is this beautiful oasis there in Engedi, where it's, it's waterfalls and pools and tropical plants and wild animals. It's, so you have this desert, and yet you have this place, this giant cavern full of rocks running all the way down westward next to the Dead Sea. And Gedi means spring of kid, which really is goat. That's what kid is. The kid's a goat for those who are farmers. <laughs> and so what it really did is that 
there are a lot of, were a lot of goats in that aspect with the springs, and so that's why the wild animals did so well in the area. Most likely, most likely, David wrote Psalms 57 and Psalms 142 there. And if you read Psalms 57 and 142, you get a little bit of gist of what was going through his mind. But I want you to take note of something here in verse 2. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from Israel to set to look out for David. 3,000 men. Now, I want you to get this. These were chosen men. So what does that mean? Chosen means that these guys had specialties. They were men who had what Saul needed. He chose his individuals. If you were doing a job and it was a carpentry job, who would you look for? People who knew something about carpentry. You wouldn't look for auto mechanics because you're going to do construction. And Saul picked 3,000 chosen men for his team to go for with a mission, kill and destroy, find and destroy. I I want you to think about this for a second. Um, If you were, if you had, if you were David and the king of your land had 3,000 people chasing you, what would you do? I mean, what would you do? How many of you go in a fetal position and suck your thumb? A good cry. Yeah. I want you to think about this because these are precious that were upon David. And if we're going to live our lives, we understand there's going to be pressures that come with us. But you've got to understand something. Some of the problems we have in life can be because we created them. And the other pressures we have in life is because it's life. All kind of things around us are faulty. Everything around us is faulty. I want you to get this, though. What would you do? Because David has a major problem again, and he's had all these problems, but now he has an army out to seek him. And the first time, Saul almost caught him. So his is the second round as he runs as a fugitive. When we're faced with overwhelming times of hurts, hardships, harmful situations, how's your response? Do you, do you say, God... Why me? Can't you give me a break? You know, Lord, when it rains, why does it always have to pour? You know, Lord, I'm getting sick and tired of being sick and tired. Have you ever sung that song? Or you ever go, woe is me? (laughs) See, David is under a situation, and as we learned last week, he's learning to lean on God. Lean on God when it's hard to lean is a difficult situation. So now he has 3,000 individuals, and we remember, and God remembers, and we all need to remember, that David's starting to remember who's bigger than 3,000 military strong people out to kill him. Because when you ever read his, his writings, his psalms, he's always talking about those who want to kill him and destroy him, but you are greater. God is always, always greater than any problem we face. And we need to remember what David knew and is continually to get stronger in his life as he continues to lean on the Lord because everything's been wiped away. Every resource and situation has been wiped away. He is no longer, he has no more resources. There's only one, God. It's the, only, it's the only thing he has. And there are lives, there are times in life that resources horizontally may not be there for you for a season. You may not have what you need for a season. But can I tell you, can I encourage you? God is on the throne and he's with you. He has your hand. He has your hand. He has not forsaken you for the word of God is true. He is with you. And if he's with you, he's in you, and he's for you, you are in good shape. Look at your, Give God some praise in the house of the Lord. God has divine encounters, and David is about to go through something, another test of the heart. I remember, I remember a situation where a lady needed to pay her rent. And she didn't have a certain amount of money. Just it was four hundred and twenty-five dollars. She was short, and she she needed eight fifty, and um, so she was short four twenty four twenty-five. And and it was the last day. And the landlord said, "Listen, if you don't pay me today, you're out. I'm just done. You're out." At the end of the day, at the very end of the day, 
And this has happened numerous of times in my own life. God says something to you to go do something that doesn't make no sense whatsoever to you. And you say, I don't even know that person. I, I know nothing about that person. But God speaks. And when God speaks, well, someone, God spoke to someone. And that person did it, didn't understand it, had to go out of their way and had to drive and do this and get out of their way and just knocked on a door and say, hello, I'm such and such. You don't know me, but God told me to give this to you. And that's all he did and closed the door. And when she opened it up, it was exactly what she needed. She opened the door, yelled to the person and said, wait, 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 wait. How do you know? How do you know? And the person got a chance to share Jesus with this person. That's called a divine appointment. That's called God working on two sides of the fence. God's always working. Even when you don't see him working, he's working. It's that song, that beautiful song, Waymaker. Even though you don't see him working, God's working. And God is working even now. Look with this portion of scripture in chapter 3 verse 3 of chapter 24 he came to the sheep pen along the way a cave was there this is this is Saul and Saul went in to relieve himself David and his men were far back in the cave I love the Bible because the Bible is so real you know at one time we never talked about sex in the church although there's so much stuff that talks about the sex in the Bible we don't talk about certain things, and we don't talk about it. The problem, we have so many problems in the church, and even now, is because we never dealt with it when we need to. The Bible is really, really clear on some things, and I love it. Did God really have to tell him he was relieving himself? No. The dude had to go to the bathroom. Do you go to the bathroom every day? Yeah, it's a normal thing. Well, he just happened to have to go to the bathroom at a particular moment, at a particular time, when there was a particular cave, he's looking for David, and he goes right into the cave where he is to relieve himself. I think this is important for us to know because, see, it's a sheepfold. And sheepfolds are places uh, in, in the east where shepherds would go and take their sheep. And sometimes they were pretty large places. And sometimes they would get them out of the sun and uh, sometimes a time of rest. Or sometimes they would give it to another shepherd to watch their sheep. And then they would call their sheep and just their sheep would come out of the pen. And so these things could be relatively big. And this one here must have been relatively big because all of David's men are hiding in the back of the cave. I want you to get this. This is important. What are the chances? What are the chances of Saul and this massive army of 3,000 men and he decides himself to pick this particular cave? Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't. Because God is about to test the heart. I always say the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Your heart is revealed when you go through the stuff. Your heart is revealed when you don't feel like it. Because, see, when you do your day in service to God, when you feel like it, there's no faith there. You feel good, you do it. You don't feel good, you don't do it. Strong spiritual people do things even when they don't feel like doing it. Because feelings, are they come and they go. And most of the time, they lie to you, or they're not fully true. So this is no coincidence. David is about to be set up with a test that's going to reveal his heart. And this is something I think all of us got to catch. This is, this is why David, one reason why David was called a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect, but he had a heart to please God. I look at this as a test of the heart. Will David put things in his own hands? Would he finally remember all of the hurt and harm that Saul did, did to him? And will he remember all the priests and the families that he killed? Will he take it into his own hands or will he give it to God and rest in God? Look at verse 4 to 7. And the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke when he said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, with David was conscience stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. 
he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. This is where we're going to learn a lesson, friends. Verse 4, the men advise him and listen to what they say. They, they tell him, they tell him, hey, listen, this is it, buddy. We've been waiting for this. God is good. They did a happy dance. da 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 da, da. Finally, all this running is over. God has put him in your hands. Didn't God say that God's going to put your enemies at your feet and you can do whatever you want to them? We'll talk about that in a little bit. They are excited. But that's not what God said. What God did say is the Lord would deliver him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. That the Lord would deliver him. Everybody get the difference? But sometimes we look at a situation and we say, Woo! Look what God's done. And sometimes it sounds good, look good, smells good. It's not good. It's like being in a bakery. Have you been in a bakery? I like once in a while going into a real bakery and I'll look at something that's fully creamy and looks really good and I'll go, oh, I want to try one of them and I'm excited and I get in my bag and I walk out of the bakery and I get home, put it there and I'm excited, can't wait to taste this and it tastes terrible. Has anybody have an experience? Or you have a piece of fruit and this has happened lately more than I can say, especially to oranges. You got a an orange before you and you're like I love oranges and and so I get this orange and it looks good it looks really really and you peel it and you're like mm, I don't know and then you taste it and you go oh this is not an orange I don't know what this is see sometimes what looks good isn't always good and even though all the men were pressuring David David recognized what he's going to do he is not going to touch the anointed of the Lord. That's not his problem. He cuts off the robe. Now, you've got to remember this. This is key to the story. He cuts off the robe, part of the robe, and leaves Saul alone. In verse 5, listen to the heart. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut the robe. He was, he was even bothered because he even touched Saul's robe. I want you to get the heart. He just didn't, wasn't going to do no harm. But even cutting the robe, he thought he, he passed the limit. Because David saw the anointing of Saul and the robe of authority which God had given to Saul. His robe was a robe of authority to the anointed king. That's one reason why he felt bad in cutting it. However, God had a different reason. And I believe with all my heart, God gave him the idea of cutting the piece of the robe. Because maybe David wouldn't do anything. But David said, and I like this, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to the master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, and he is the anointed of the Lord. And then he rebukes his, his, his servants, his, his people around him, says, nobody's going to touch him. Does that sound like a man who's vengeful for a, Does this sound like a man who full of um, hatred to someone who's been so unkind to them? How would you respond in this situation? When someone is unkind to you, when someone treats you badly, when someone says something that's not true, when someone really hurts you and harms you, how do you treat them? Because if David had a reason to do something to Saul, but he didn't. So how do we treat people? I mean, think about it. How do we treat people when people are unkind to us? You know, deep down in everybody, we want people to like us. I've got past that. I, I really do. I, I get a point. Where I want to please God. And if I can please God, everything will fall into place. Because I don't try to please people. Because people love you one minute and... Then they'll leave you the next minute. I, I've been in the ministry for a long time, so I just love people no matter what. Love, leave me or love me, I still love you. I'm not going to change in that aspect. I'm just going to be, I'm going to do what God's called me to do, to love people right where they are, wherever they need, no matter where they are or who they are. It doesn't matter. 
And I think we hold on to things and hold on to scars. And when we hold on to this pain, it hinders us. David didn't hold on to pain. David did not hold on to those that hurt him. I think this is a powerful lesson that you and I can learn. That we don't hold on to the pain of the past. We don't hold on to the pain of your present. But you hold on to the passion that you have for your God. Because if you hold on to the pain, you cannot grow. It can't happen. It's like trying to uh, take another luggage bag when all your hands are already full. You can't pick up nothing more. You have to let go of the baggage to order to pick up the new stuff that God has for you. Someone say amen. David understood that God put Saul in a position of authority and it was God's problem to take care of Saul. David wanted nothing to do with that. Now look what happens here. This is where it gets interesting. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said, Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against the ma my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at the piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of this wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. I want you to understand this. David responds to Saul. Now look at this for a second. He says this. David started politically in a good way. He didn't blame Saul. You know what he does? He says this. Why are you listening to other men that say that I'm after you? Is that true? I'm sure that there are men that were agreeing with the king. Oh, yes, king, because they're just yes, yes people. But Saul is the one who's after David. Saul is the one who's trying to hold on to his dynasty. Saul is the one that's fighting against the plan of God. Saul is the one that wants David out of the picture. Not like God couldn't raise somebody else to be king. But Saul is the one. But that's not how David approached it. Why are you listening to men who are saying that David is out for you? I want you to understand this. I think this is another one. The Lord delivered you into my hands today. He tells the king. And I spared your life. And then he says, I will not lift my hand against my master. He tells him point blank. I am not going to touch you. Uh, Look at the piece of the robe in my hand. And he shows them the piece. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of this wrongdoing. I have not wronged you, but you. Now this is where David starts to get strong. But you are hunting me down. Verse 12 and 13. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now you see David starting to speak straight to him. And may the Lord avenge your wrongs you have done unto me, but, the hand, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. This is powerful. This is really powerful because David is actually talking straight and says, now let God be our judge. You know what? I'm not going to do a thing. God's going to be the judge between me and you. And I'm going to bring a clear distinction, King, between you and me. Just like the saying goes, from evil doers produce evil actions. And he was just calling Saul out on it like, you know what? You're evil and you're doing evil things. This is interesting. Look at this. Verse 14, 15. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. David's starting to have faith here. Do you see David's faith? Do you see how he's starting to really lean on the Lord? From 
knowing that he's only one step from death, now he's understanding, wait a minute, God's doing a work here. He's starting to see God put things together. And he says, who are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea. Why? He's saying to Saul, what, who am I? Who am I compared to you, king of all Israel? One full of prestige and power is hunting me, a nobody. He called himself a dead dog. He called himself a flea. Those are two things that were not very popular in that time and age, and it's still not popular today. He's calling himself, why? Why Why are you doing this? Watch this now. This is where I want to really zone in on a little bit. Because God's doing something, not just for David. God's speaking to Saul. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is this your voice, David, my son? I always find that kind of curious. He's trying to kill him and yet calls him his son. And he wept aloud. Love-hate relationship. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did for me. The Lord delivered you, delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now, I want you to take note of this. This is important. When he called to David, he begins to weep. Why is Saul weeping after David's defense? Why is Saul loudly in sorrow because of what David said? I'll tell you why. Because when he saw that garment in his hand, it brought him back to 1 Samuel 15. It brought him to the point where Samuel was with Saul and Saul has now been disobedient. And prophet Samuel turned away from him and Saul grabbed his garment and it tore. And then Samuel said, this day God has found another one for the king better than you. Now, here is the one who is going to be king, who has the torn garment in his hand. It is then Saul is remembering that God said he was going to rip the kingdom from his hand, and now he is face to face with one who has ripped his kingdom, and he is in total remorse. He is broken because he's seeing God working once again and communicating. It's powerful how God works. Can I give you a point of challenge? What is happening in your life that you refuse to look at what God's trying to show you? What are you refusing to really look in the things of your life that you are looking God to do this, but God is trying to do more than just this? God's doing something in you, and he keeps on showing you. But you have to have a tender heart. You've got to be careful. You've really got to be careful not to get a hardened heart in the process. Saul hardened his heart, and now he is God given him a message. Saul, the kingdom has been ripped from your hand. Here is David. Saul is now having a guilt moment. But one thing about Saul you see all the time, he cries, he repents, but there's no change. I've seen this in ministry a lot. You have a lot of people who will cry and weep and, and have a lot of remorse and a lot of guilt, but they don't have a change of heart. They have guilt that they carry, remorse that they carry, but they don't have a change of heart. They keep doing the same things over and over again. They say, God, I need help. I need help. And God says, I want to help you. I want to help you. But you got to do something different. And the reason is we have to be willing to change. There are so many people who want change, but they want to change everything but themselves. They want to see something happen, and they want it to happen, but they don't want to change them. And most of the time, the problem is not others, it's us. One of the first things I do when I have a problem and I ask myself, is it me? 
Do I need to do something different? What is, and I, I examine me. I don't look outward before I first look in. I always look at myself. What can I do better? What I'm not doing? And I do my best to do whatever I, that needs to be. And then, and then, we find out the truth of the matter, or the matter of the truth. Saul is understanding, and now he admits. He admits that David's more righteous. What is he saying? He's admitting he's wrong. He's unrighteous in his ways that he's been doing it. And he's admitting that David is innocent. You have treated me well and I have treated you badly. He admits his actions have been wrong. You have just now told me the good that you did unto me. David is demonstrating a good when evil is done to him. When somebody is unkind to you, you don't give them the same stuff. I've seen many Christians and stuff. Oh, boy, I've seen Christians. When someone's unkind to them, they're so quick to give it right back to him. When you do that, you are wrong. You are no different than this world when you give them the same stuff they gave you. I've seen when someone driving down the road and someone says, you're number one, buddy. And the Christian goes, you're number one, too. Gives them a big horn, yells at them. Everybody has done, not the number one, but probably honked their horn or yell at someone. I've had my moments myself, but they're moments. I am, there's no road rage, rage normally. How, how many of you have a little problem of road rage? Just raise your hand. We could, we just, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a couple other people not here today. They would be right on the list too. <laughs> but we have to be careful how we respond. We're so quick with our voice. We're so quick to, to, to just... Bring a punch. It's amazing. David didn't do that to a man that treated him terribly and, and did too, too many things. Now he's admitting it. Now he's at this moment. Then he says, may the Lord reward you for the way you've treated me today. Saul actually is putting a blessing on David. I know you'll surely be king in the kingdom. You'll be king over Israel and you establish your hands. Saul admits that he's going to be king. And then he says, hey, listen, do not. Do not hurt my family. Do not hurt my, my dynasty of, of my name. And David makes this wonderful moment. Let me give you four LTLs that I think are important for us to learn. First, lesson to learn. David did not try to fulfill the promise of God through his own hands. Nor did he look for a reason to justify his actions. You know, he could have really found some reasons of reason why to do David in, uh, do Saul in. I mean, hey, it was self-defense. David, uh, Saul's been after him for a long, long time trying to kill him. Well, I killed him before he killed me. It was all these things. Look all the things he's done unto you. Look all the things, all the things that you've lost. You've lost your family. You've lost your friends. You've lost your position. You've lost your good name. You've lost your honor. That's enough to get anybody upset. But do you see David upset? Do you see David upset because of the way that Saul treated him? No. He did not allow how someone else has treated him so badly. He did not allow that to affect his relationship with the Lord. And that's what happens so often in Christians. We allow other people to dictate how we're going to love the Lord because of how they treat us. There are people in the world who are hurting and hurting people hurt people. And when you get hurt, it's, sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not intentional. But the reality is you can't allow someone else to dictate your attitude. Someone say amen. amen. Your attitude is all yours, buddy. All yours. Or but at. God gave me this great opportunity. It's beautiful. I mean, I don't have to run anymore. Here's, here's Saul right in front of me. Could you imagine this? Daddy, tell me how you got into the kingship. Well, son, it was like this. I was chased by Saul for many, many years. And all of a sudden, one day, he came to relieve himself. And while he was going to the bathroom, I took out my knife and I killed him right there. I killed him while he's going to the toilet. And that's how I got into the kingship. What a story! What a story to pass on to the next generation. Hey, my daddy got into the kingship. He killed the other king while he was on the toilet. You see what I mean? That wasn't God's plan. God is trying to write your story. You got to get this. I live with this in my heart and my mind. God is trying to write your story. 
And what is going to be in your story that you're going to be good, glad about? Because you don't want those things in your story that you're not going to be glad about. So you have to live your life, not for yourself, but you live your life unto the audience of one. Someone say the audience of one. It's the audience of one is why we're here. David had the audience of one. He knew, and he knew, though he's going through hardship. But when we go through hardship, we complain. Why me, Lord? Why me? Why not you? You know how other people have problems too? Is your God bigger than the problem? So when your problem, this is where your faith is going to arrive. In your problem, in your situation, this is when you're going to know who your God is. This is the opportunity for you to see his power and his might to work in your life as you have faith in him. God never promised you a day without problems. God never promised you a day without situations and circumstances and pressures. God didn't promise you. He said, you shall have trials and tribulations. Hello? Oh, we don't like talking about that, do we? No. He said, you shall have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You can hold your head up high and know God's with you. But you've got to remind yourself of that. When David was in Ziglag and they came in and they attacked it, his own men wanted to kill him. And the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. We've got to remember something. It's good. When you have someone horizontally that you can care and share and talk with. But before that, before that, you have to have it strong upward. And this is what David is learning. It is David is learning the upward. Because if he doesn't get the upward, he's never going to be able to live it out horizontally. He has to get the upward. God's put him in kingship school. So he gets this vertical relationship strong where his total dependence is on God and not on others, but on God. So important. So important. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a good one. (laughs) Another lesson to learn is David chose to wait on God to fulfill his promise and to walk in obedience by trusting God with his life. He wasn't going to try to make it happen. Abraham and Sarah tried to make it happen. God gave them a promise of having a son, but, and they come up with the idea, hey, why don't you go into my concubine and I'll have a child through her. Maybe that's what God wants to do. But God didn't want a child from a slave. He wanted a child from someone who was free from Sarah. And at old age, Sarah became pregnant And here, Abraham, at 100 years old, has a baby. Why? Because your God, all things are possible. Someone say, all things are possible. I mean, right now, I'm so excited, my liver wants to quiver. I don't know if I want to shake or bake, but I don't know. I just, I just, but God's on the throne. He's with you. David refused to, refused to wait, refused to, he chose to wait on the Lord. To fulfill things. Sometimes we just want to do it our way. We want to put our hands in it. But see, when we do that, we, we mess up what God's trying to do. God's always, God, God is like an, an orchestra and he, and he puts every piece in place. And every piece comes in at the right time. It's amazing how God is working out so many things at the same time. So David was wise enough and we need to be wise enough that we wait on God. We trust God. We don't get ahead of the plan, but we stay in the plan so that God does the work. So at the end, he gets all the praise, all the glory, because we trust him in the journey. That's what David learned and is still learning. The third lesson to learn, LTL, is that David carried the heart of mercy and grace and did not store up hatred for Saul. This is important. This is a major that I want you to get. David did what David did because David went before God for all the pain and all the hurt that he did. He released it. He released it because he has no... If you look, when when Saul finally dies and Jonathan dies, you're going to get to see how he mourns and even writes a song for him. I want you to get this, that here is an individual who, who really doesn't hold on to the pain doesn't hold on to the pain he lets it go he gives it to God David carries the heart of mercy grace and he didn't store up the hatred of Saul in his heart why do you you think he could just cut the rope 
I mean, think about it. If he just had a little bit of a smidgen of hatred and everybody else was encouraging him, go ahead, yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes it just takes a bunch of people just to encourage you just a little bit over the hill. Just, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, I'll do it, yeah. But no, he's convinced. He's convinced because David did not store up anger and bitterness. He took the things to the Lord as they happened in their life. He lived with a clear conscience, a clear slate. I'm going to share something with you. I have learned in life to do that. Every situation I face, I go before the Lord and I give it to him. I try not to carry anything to the next day. There are times it does carry to the next day and I need to maybe deal with it. But for the most part, I try not to carry hurt and harm. I try to really release it to the Lord and let God do a work. And I believe that's what Saul, that's what David did. That's what David did. It's important. David, number four, lesson to learn. David understood the principle of Romans 12, 21. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is powerful. I mean, we read it. We read it. And we, we, we say, wow. But this is really a, an Old Testament concept as well. Because we find an Old Testament, which David definitely knew. David lived in, uh, lived in Proverbs 25, 21. If, well, actually, they weren't written yet. But, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> it says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Could you imagine that? This is in the proverb, come from Saul, uh, Solomon. Watch this now. That sounds familiar. Doesn't it sound familiar? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's in Romans. Romans 12. Scripture we just come out of. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. So the next time someone does something hurtful to you, you don't hold it against them. You have to forgive. The problem is, a lot of times we don't forgive. We hold it in our hearts. We hold it. We hold it. We hold it. And you know what that does? It ruins you. Because I found, when I was starting to hold it one time, I started to see me change. I said to myself, man, I'm, I'm not the same person anymore. Why am I the same person? Because I'm holding on to stuff. You've got to stop holding on to stuff. The more you hold on to is the more heavier your backpack gets. And the more heavier your backpack gets, the more it slows you down. And God doesn't want you to be slow. Amen? Let me give you the interpretation to Romans 12, 20. And I'm going to give you the interpretation by giving you another translation found in the Living Bible. I love this. Listen to the explanation of what this scripture means. Dear friends, never avenge yourself. Leave that to God. For he has said that he will repay those who deserve it. Don't take the law into your own hands. Instead, feed your enemy if he's hungry. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And you will, be, you will be heaping coals of fire on his head. In other words, he will feel ashamed of himself for what he has done to you. Don't let evil get the upper hand, but conquer evil by doing good. That's the bottom line, saints. When someone does something to you, look what David did. David did not hold all of the grudges that Saul did to him but was also offended or conscience-stricken just by touching his robe. You want to talk about the honor and respect that he had for the Lord? Do you want to talk about the honor and respect that he had for the position of kingship? I often ask myself questions, and one of the questions was, did King David or David do that because he knew one day he was going to be king? You know, if you want to give honor... If you want honor, you got to give honor. I want to challenge you today. I want you to learn this lesson from David. David trusted, had a trusting heart, and he trusted God. What problem do you face right now that you have a hard time trusting God with? 
What problem that's in your life, in the situation, what situation that you have a hard time trusting God with? Do you have 3,000 men out to kill you? I don't think so. But maybe your problem can still be harsh and hard. I want you to look at what David did. In the times of his trials, he found himself trusting God, getting to know God personally. And the way we get to know God, we open the word of God. We spend time in prayer. We spend time with one another. We encourage one another. We grow together. Someone say together. But God wants you to take the first step to trust him even when you don't understand. Can you stand to your feet? Those watching online, what area of your life do you have a hard time trusting God? The Bible says that he calls us to come to him. If you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus your Lord, personal Savior, that's the first step of having a relationship. Those watching online, if you've never made Jesus your personal Savior, you need to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I choose to follow you. He wants to be your best friend. He wants to be your best friend. Do you have a best friend? I want you to know Jesus should be your best friend. And Jesus wants to forgive you of your sin. All have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Isn't it a miraculous thing to know that God has provided a way for you to know heaven, know him, and to be a servant for him? Life is short. We only have one life to make a difference. Let's not think about ourselves. Let's think about what God has done for us so that we can do something for him. Just right now, with your eyes closed, those online, just close your eyes and take a moment. And just, if Jesus is not your Savior, if you've not dedicated your heart to Him, this is the moment. Just give your heart to the Lord and say, God, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I yield my heart to you. I choose Jesus, my Savior. He died on the cross, rose from the dead. Now, seats on the right hand of the Father and I believe you came for me and I want you to find the church I want you to get in your word Father I ask that you would touch each one here in the name of Jesus I pray Lord that you would help them to live a life that they can trust you in the midst of trials in the midst of temptations in the midst of tough situations let them have a heart of faith and put your word and trust you. Walk by faith and not by sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Listen, give God some praise in the house of the Lord. He's always worthy.